0: For Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, I'm Nick Hennon, and this is SciVibe.
1: Our uh, older, leaky home in Portland, you know, in a blanket of smoke that lasted for a couple of weeks, and we were the most polluted city in the world for a number of days during that period of time. Science. Technology.
0: Scientific discovery. This is SciVibe. Christy Ananopoulos is on the show today. Welcome to SciVibe. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thanks so much, Nick.
0: And uh, you have an interesting story. I mean, you came to PNNL as an intern and wanted to make a difference. And you were really interested in environmental economics. And you bump into a senior economist at the lab and he's like, hey, come be an intern. And and you did. and, And you stayed.
1: And then I stayed. Then the lab was stuck with me. (laughs) I um, started in more of the rulemaking and code space.
0: Oh, okay. That's cool.
1: Doing environmental impact assessments and uh, standards analyses and uh, then discovered this world of residential buildings and migrated away from standards and started working in the the building space.
0: Aha, so there's the path. What is it about buildings that drew you in?
1: I really started to understand that the buildings that we live in tend to be our interaction with our immediate environment. Mm. Educationally, my background is in urban studies and design. i went on after uh, my undergrad and got my master's and PhD degrees while at the lab. And I figured out that the homes that we live in are such a central focus in terms of our behavior, our connection to our community. And they're also influenced by the technologies and the materials uh, that create them. So I found my spot firmly here in residential building science.
0: Wow, that's so wonderful. And uh, lucky for us here at the lab and getting your education and everything while you're here is just an incredible story. Did you grow up in the Tri-Cities then?
1: I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Oh,
0: okay. So not too far away.
1: Not too far away. Definitely Pacific Northwesterner.
0: Excellent. Well, I know there's like new research now from PNNL that you're deeply involved in that talks about how unhealthy air can enter homes and home air filters and how they can sometimes miss the mark in preventing unhealthy air from entering homes when outdoor smoke levels are high. And I know that you kind of stumbled onto this research in an event that occurred in Portland. Can you tell us about You know, working with your colleague in that older home, and how did it come to say, well, hey, let's test this air? And, you know, like, how did that all play out?
1: Yeah, so we had some DOE funding to look at indoor air quality and the role of mechanical ventilation on indoor air quality in partnership with the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, with the FSEC, Florida Solar Energy Center, and then the University of Illinois. So we had a lot of equipment and we were doing a field study. And after the field study ended, uh, we had a really large smoke event in, in Portland. And we decided to use the equipment that we had from the study to do some analysis and take some measurements about the indoor and outdoor particulate matter concentrations during that event. So we instrumented an older home in Portland and took about a week of data.
0: And so you determined that the amount of infiltration from outdoor homes was really quite high at that time, right?
1: We did. We looked at the ratio of particulate matter from outdoors to indoors. We found that there was a lot of penetration of PM uh, in the indoor environment. And we also saw that um, once we added a portable air cleaner to the home, we could see the indoor concentrations of PM lowering. Uh, because of the portable air cleaner, which has a HEPA filter.
0: So having and using the right indoor air cleaner makes a difference. Absolutely. When properly chosen.
1: Yes. And there's a number of studies out now that have looked at the role of indoor air cleaners. And of those studies, all have found that PM concentrations have decreased when the air cleaners are properly sized and operated in a room.
0: That's good stuff. And just a little bit of background, you know, there was actually two concurrent fires that were quite significant, right? The Riverside and the Beachy Creek Fire. and. This was in September of 2020, and you're in Portland, Oregon with your colleague, Sam Rosenberg.
1: He's a data scientist in the in the building space here at PNL.
0: Right, right. Thank you. And the Air Quality Index, or AQI, which a lot of folks are familiar with now because of the wildfire seasons. You can get those apps on your phone. That'll tell you what the AQI is at any given moment. But it dangerously pushed past 500 at this event. And you're in Portland, Oregon. And it had the distinction of being the most polluted air in the world for a few days while you're here during this event. And you're inside this home, like a single family dwelling built in 1928. Is that right?
1: That's right. Our older leaky home in Portland, you know, in a blanket of smoke that lasted for a couple of weeks. And, and you're right. We were the most polluted city in the world for a number of days during that period of time.
0: I mean, that's horrible, but what an awesome opportunity for, you know, you to be at the apex of these events, ready for research with all the right equipment uh, there to study the air.
1: Absolutely. We got... You know, I don't want to say we got lucky because, you know, living through these incidents is really tragic, right, that our Earth has come to this point. But we were fortunate to have just come out of this larger DOE study and have the equipment readily available and not be used for another study at that period of time.
0: So one of the things that you found with the highest outdoor concentrations was that the indoor ratio was quite significant from outdoors prior to the air cleaner, you know, to using the air cleaner. And then you chose to also sort of, you know, not further impact the study by not cooking indoors and you did a few things there to make sure that you had this sort of perfect environment to study. And then you added indoor air cleaners. Do I get that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what factors should folks know in terms of purchasing indoor air cleaners? Because there's so many different models and things to consider. We hear a lot about MERV 13, or at least we did uh, with the last wildfire event. And I'm wondering, you know, what does that mean? And uh, how does that play into a HEPA filter? What are we looking for exactly?
1: So air cleaners should designate what kind of filter they have. And And a HEPA filter is a MERV filter. It's just a really high value filter. Um, HEPA is, I think, equivalent to somewhere around the MERV 16, but uh, the HEPA filter is the highest grade uh, filter there is on the market and really is the best practice to look for when you're, you do want to purchase a portable air cleaner. Should always be a filtration system, uh, not a, a mechanical filtration system, not an electronic system. Um, and should have a rating on the filter. The other thing to look for is what's called the Clean Air Delivery Rate, or CADR. It's often an acronym that shows that the unit has been uh, verified by an independent laboratory to clean uh, air up to a certain size. And when we're talking about residential systems, Uh, These air cleaners tend to be smaller and clean a smaller amount of air, you know, so something like 200 square feet of space. So if you're going to outfit an entire home, you need to pay attention to what the clean air delivery rate is and what that unit is specified for in terms of room size, um, and then get enough units in enough rooms to cover the entire square footage of the home.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I remember during the last really bad wildfire event here in Tri-Cities in terms of air quality, it was really terrible. I purchased the right filters according to your... I got lucky in that I did find a HEPA. It did have the language that you mentioned and um, it worked really well. It was just that I had to put one in each room, but the filters, you know, were, were just black after the event. And so... Uh, that's an aspect of it that needs to, to uh, be addressed as well, right? There are, is maintenance to these.
1: Absolutely. You bring up a really good point, and that is that these portable units still have a filter inside that needs to be changed. So one filter forever will not be, you know, eventually you're going to lose, you know, the filtration value there. It's important to change the filter and each manufacturer Uh, will have and specify the time horizon. Usually it's about every three months. But if you have a high pollution event, like a wildfire that, you know, is sustained for a week or two, you'll probably want to check that filter uh, after the event to make sure it's not too dirty. And you can tell when a, a filter needs to be changed because you'll pull it out just like you said, and it'll be Brown, black, it'll have dust all over it, and you know it's time to to get a new one.
0: Right, right. And that brings up another topic about the HVAC systems themselves. So we often have a filter for a central air unit, and you can purchase now, you know, the MERV-13s for those units when you're running central air. Is that then an added layer of protection?
1: It is an added layer of protection and the DOE recommends and you know, Building Science Best Practices recommends that we move from kind of a typical filter that's somewhere around MERV 6 to a higher MERV filter. In existing systems, you do need to be a little bit cautious of the pressure differential uh, that can be caused by thicker filters. A, a MERV 13 compared to a MERV 6 it has a much different thickness. Uh, and that can impact the pressure differential of the HVAC as your, your return air is filtering through a smaller supply and it's taking more pressure to get through the filter. Um, however, your HVAC contractor should be able to make adjustments to allow for uh, a thicker filter, which is recommended. It is a, you know, building science best practice for indoor air quality to have uh, higher MERV filters in your central systems.
0: Sure. And that brings up another interesting point as well. For me, I was just thinking about that when you were saying that and going through the process myself with a really rough year where it was like rather difficult to spend a lot of time outdoors without a mask. And it felt dangerous to breathe the air in without real protection. And and then just considering all of the costs involved, you know. I had three units, and I'm replacing those three units air filters every three months or more. If they feel like they're affected from one of these events, it may get dirtier faster. And then you have to purchase the filter for your HVAC system and make sure that that's up to date. And with these wildfire seasons, there's often heat events that are connected as well. So your energy bills are soaring and... There's just a lot to it that affects Americans in different ways based on their socioeconomic status, right?
1: That's a really good point. And um, it's a really large topic that many researchers are are starting to look into. Uh, We know that there are disproportionate effects on lower income households related to uh, all factors of energy consumption. Uh, We know that lower income households have you know, less installed central air conditioning where you can put that heavier filter in and rely more on uh, window units, for example, which are bad to use in um, high smoke events because they, you know, take supply air directly from the outdoors. Um, And we know that uh, low income and more marginalized communities are more heavily impacted By climate change and severe weather uh, in general. So I I think that equity is a very important issue as we continue to move down, uh, you know, the energy transition and climate change um, um, route. And and certainly it has an impact on indoor air quality in homes during wildfire events.
0: Right. One of the things that struck me around that event was just walking my dog and, and wondering, is my dog okay? And looking at school children playing outside, you know, playing kickball, different games, and wondering if their parents fully understand how dangerous it is or if they do. And am I right in thinking that it was dangerous for people? I mean, do you often find yourself thinking about that? And I understand the, the, the health aspects of this is not your specific area of expertise, but just stepping back and, and looking at the big picture, are you shocked as... Well, about maybe the lack of knowledge about how or whether or not this affects us?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there is a pretty robust set of literature now that ties health impacts to heat and wildfire smoke exposure. I think that, you know, the literature is getting to be pretty conclusive on that now. You know, we know that vulnerable populations such as children and the elderly, people with pre existing conditions, pregnant women, Uh, are at higher risk of uh, health issues associated with smoke exposure, Um, and it's it's a real issue. I also think that there is an aspect of community education that is still necessary so people do understand that exposure to high levels of smoke during wildfire events is dangerous, I think the AQI, uh, that index that you brought up earlier, is one way that public health officials are using to bring light uh, to that issue. And and now you'll see that oftentimes uh, during the weather report, the meteorologist will focus on AQI levels and kind of highlight the importance of limiting exposure. But often that limitation just goes to, well, go inside. Um, and I do think that there's an an extra level of precaution that we can take inside of our buildings to make sure that our air is as clean as possible uh, EPA does have some guidance out there on how to create a clean room it, you know if you can't afford to outfit your home with portable air cleaners doing so in one room um, making sure that room is airtight the windows are are closed and there's clean air in there that uh, a person can go spend time in, particularly if they have high vulnerability or an at-risk population is one way around that. But I think that there is a lot of education that still needs to happen in terms of air quality during smoke and wildfire events.
0: Well, this is really interesting and important research, and I think it's fascinating to learn more about it. And I appreciate all of your expertise. Chrissy, what do you do when you're not involved with this work? How do you unwind from it all?
1: Well, I love to be outside. I'm an avid gardener. I have flower gardens. I have vegetable gardens. Anything that I can plant and watch grow is one of my favorite things to do. I have a young son and a family and, you know, we stay really busy otherwise as well.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. That's everything, right? So what inspires you most about this work?
1: You know, my hope is that we can do things that make a difference for future generations. And whether that's, you know, making the world a safer place or a more efficient place or inspiring young people to uh, follow STEM education, all of those things are really
0: important to me. Yes. So important, really. Well, this has been really enlightening and I certainly appreciate your time and Thanks so much for coming on SciVibe today.
1: Thanks so much, Nick. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening to SciVibe. We're dedicated to sharing the excitement of discovery. If you had an aha moment while listening to SciVibe, please share and subscribe.